Thank you so much. Appreciate your team leading us out. Thank you, Max, for leading today. And that's a beautiful song. And also, I don't think I'll ever sing Old Lang Syne the same again. How about you? I like, like that version very, very much. Have your Bibles. Would you turn now with me to the passage that uh, Colin read? And that is in Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, if you're a guest Uh, For a number of Sundays, we've been on a journey through this wonderful letter, Paul to the Romans, and uh, we've had a few breaks for some special focus, Uh, but we've come now these summer weeks to finishing our journey through this wonderful letter, and this morning we come to chapter 14. Now, as you turn there, I want to bring you greetings from Jamaica, Mom, all right? And uh, many of you may know, some may not, but about 10 days ago, Susan and I, uh, along with uh, Gary Marty uh, Crawford from here in our fellowship, uh, made a trip to visit uh, partners in Jamaica. This is a part of our mission outreach that we have united with called the Open Initiative. The Open Initiative has to do with reaching across cultural barriers in the Caribbean and working with the churches there to see very intentional relational gospel sharing with Hindus, Muslims, Asians that are moving in vast numbers into that area. Now 1.5 million of these three groups that have moved there and there are numbers of wonderful evangelical churches that have the opportunity to do missions uh, right outside their door even as we certainly do here as well right and we were very blessed to be with Gary Marty and to visit with Pastor uh, Devin and Patricia Linton some of you may remember back at our missions conference Pastor Devin was here with us, did a tremendous job and shared about the opportunities that God is giving to his congregation, a Rhine Park Christian Church in the Montego Bay area of Jamaica. And so we were able uh, to make this trip. Uh, We met on Friday, uh, myself and uh, Gary and also Scott Russell, one of our our partners who oversees uh, the South America region and also the Caribbean region for uh, ABWE. And we were able to meet with uh, the first triad of the pastors uh, in Jamaica that are coming together with their congregations. And that was a great time of insight, hearing their heart for their communities. Uh, Later that day, we were able to visit Uh, Bible College and camp site, and we learned a lot from that. And then on Sunday, we last Sunday, we prayed for you, uh, but we were at Rhine Park Christian Church there in Montego Bay, and Scott Russell, uh, one of our missionaries, brought a tremendous, powerful message. After the service, a few of us were able to go over on their new property where they hope to uh, build in the coming days. And we were able to pray there, an incredible uh, place that God's given them for outreach. And so we were able to be a part of that. And then last Sunday evening, uh, there was a commissioning service. Very exciting. Uh, The triad of these three churches commissioned 12 individuals to be intentional on mission, reaching across uh, these barriers to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those in particular that are moving into uh, this area. And so that was a very, very exciting service. Uh, It was a long service, uh, two and a half hours, okay? I want you to know I was only responsible for about 45 minutes of that, okay? (laughs) It was a great, great time to be a part of that. And so Uh, We look forward to our church continuing to minister with the open initiative, uh, Lord willing, some teams going forth from here uh, in the coming months and years as 
God gives us the opportunity. So grateful for that privilege. And then also uh, Susan and I uh, stayed a few days extra. Uh, we celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. And so, right? <laughs> yes, that goes to a very patient woman, all right? And uh, so we enjoyed that time. Uh, a beautiful resort. We'd never stayed at one of these all-inclusive resorts. <laughs> we felt like somebody for, uh, for a little while. And uh, you know, the highlight of that is that I uh, worked ahead and uh, rented a cabana on the beach for two whole days, okay? Two days. Just to sit there, watch the waves come in, relax, talk, uh, and then let people bring us things to drink, okay? Don't worry about what kind of things they brought us to drink, okay? I'll, I'll deal with that more in just a moment, okay? A few of you from time to time invaded my thoughts, but I pushed you right back out. I want you to know. <laughs> it, was, it was a great few days, so we really, uh, really enjoyed that time. But I do want to say this, as Susan and I were there, just looking out on the ocean, uh, once again, as we were talking, we experienced what I would call oceanside awe. Have you ever just sat or stood in awe and just look at the ocean? How massive, just what you can see. It makes you feel rather insignificant, doesn't it? But it makes you understand the majesty of your heavenly Father. That the one who created all this and sustains it is Abba, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were looking at that, but while we were looking at that and talking about that, we also talked about imagine the courage. I was thinking about it. Imagine the courage of those who first crossed those oceans. As, as far as you can see, nothing but ocean. Uncharted ocean in those days. The first to cross. No guidance before them. No guidance around them. But they did have guidance. No guidance before them, no guidance around them, but they did have guidance above them, right? They knew very well about the sun, the movement of the sun, the stars in the various seasons. And it was the guiding lights above them that enabled them to cross this vast emptiness when there was nothing to, gather, to guide around them or before them. They had guidance above them. And friends, that's my thought this morning. At times, it can seem like we're adrift with no guidance whatsoever. Have you ever been there? You might be there right now in that boat right now. You feel like that you're adrift without a compass, but we are never without a compass. Never without a compass because we have guidance from above, right? Amen. We have guidance in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we have guidance in our hands by the book that the Spirit has given us, the living Word of God. So we have guidance when we think we're adrift. Guidance from above. From God our Father, by His Spirit that is within us, by His Word that He has given to us, we have guidance. And this morning, what I want us to do is to begin to follow along with Paul's thoughts about what I would call the North Star of God's guidance for us. The North Star of God's guidance for us. And I'm talking about that guidance of God's love. 
the North Star of God's love. God's love to us and God's love through us. And really, that's what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. What has he revealed in chapters 1 through 11? He has revealed God's love to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Buried, rose again, ascended, and has sent the Spirit of God to us who believe in Him so that the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is dumbfounding to think about the love that God has revealed to us in Christ through the gospel. But then, in chapters 12 through 16, Paul talks about God's love in us and through us. God's love in us and through us, and that is a guiding, guiding light. The guiding light of God's love in us and through us. Now, this is very clear as we read. We begin reading in chapter 12. We start reading about God's love. How should we live this new life in Christ? Well, look, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, everything is wrapped up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Chapter 13, verse 8 and verse 9 is where it was actually. Then verse 10 goes on to say, love does no wrong and it's a fulfilling of the law. Now look back previously, chapter 12, what Paul had said in verse 9. Let love be what? Genuine. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So here you see chapter 12, verse 9, verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Paul says we have this guiding star of love. So Paul's challenge in chapters 12 and 13, is that we should, we should live in loving agreement. That we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and we share the Spirit, we share this love of God lavished in our hearts, and so we should live in loving agreement. But now notice, here's the question. What about when Christians don't agree? Now, I know that's just a hypothetical possibility. How, how could that be? Maybe you've heard about the man that was shipwrecked on a deserted island. You heard about him? He's there for a year. After a year, a freighter saw his signal fire, sent in a small boat to rescue him. And when the party that came on shore found him, he was standing there, he embraced them. And then the leader of the rescue party said, "Um, what's these three huts you have here? And the man said, well, this is where I live and this is where I go to church. And the man said, well, that's wonderful. What's the other hut? And he said, well, that's where I used to go to church, but we had problems over there. I'll let you ponder what denomination he probably was. (laughs) Paul's challenge. Here's the challenge in chapter 14. Living in loving disagreement. Living in loving disagreement. God's love is able... To help us to live in loving 
disagreement. And so this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this subject, love to disagree. <laughs> now, that's not telling you to keep doing what you're doing already. So I love it already. No, <laughs> having love to disagree in a way that honors the Lord. See, that's what Romans chapter 14 is all about. Now, to do this, we need to understand a couple of things. We need to understand and apply a couple of things. First of all, we need to understand the historical context of what we're reading here. We, we have to let the Word of God speak, right? We need to understand the historical context. What is Paul talking about? And then apply the eternal concepts. You see, that's what we always have to do. Make sure we understand what the Bible is saying in its context. And then apply from that the eternal concepts for our life application. So let's do that. First of all, let's make sure we understand the historical context here. Now, God, by His inspiration, has given us an awareness through Paul's letter of a real problem in the early church. And it was not just limited to Rome. Paul deals with it also when he writes the letter to the Corinthians and also references it somewhat when he writes the letter to the Galatians. There's a conflict that seems to be a constant in the various churches. And to understand the conflict, we need to understand, I think, three things about the conflict, okay? What's Paul talking about here? Well, we need to understand the people involved. We need to understand the people involved. You know, most of you, that the church, those early gatherings of Christians, were made up of Two very different ethnic and racial groups. You had the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews who had believed in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And Gentiles who, by God's grace, had come to believe in Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. And now here they are. Very different background. Very different social traditions. Very, very different theology traditions in their background. Radically different. But not only that, Paul lets us have an insight here that these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, are themselves subdivided into two groups. The strong and the weak. If you listened as Colin was reading this passage, Paul is referring to those that are strong and those who are weak. Let's look at this. Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. So he's talking about those who are true believers, but they're weak in faith. Now look at chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings, or the idea is the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. So there you have the bookend. He's talking about Jewish believers, Gentile believers. Some of them are strong. Some are weak. Now, there are Jewish believers that are strong. They know that Jesus has fulfilled the law. And He is the end of all of the prophecies and principles of the old covenant. That He's established a new covenant. But there are weak Jewish people who do believe in Jesus. But they still feel a need to cling to some of those traditions and practices that went with Judaism. And then you have Gentiles 
who've been radically converted from paganism. And they know that there is no God. All these temples everywhere. There is no God but one God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jehovah. They worship Him. But there are some weak Gentile believers who are still struggling with some things that relate to that paganistic culture they lived in. Some of the traditions that went with their pagan forms of worship. And now here you have the church made of very distinctly different people. Different backgrounds. Radically different cultures. Now some of them are strong in the faith. Some of them are weak. How do we all just get along? So we need to understand that's what's happening here. Strong and weak. We need to understand these practices. What are some of these practices that are causing problems? Because Paul deals with them. He mentions two. Did you notice this? There's two practices that are involved in the disagreements that are happening in the churches. Number one, diet. And number two, days. Diet and days. Look at verse 3. First of all, diet. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. There's diet. Verse 5. Days. One person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, why would this be a problem? Well, you must, we must understand the times. Understand the context. Understand the diet of Judaism. Okay? Judaism had taught, and the Old Testament made it very clear, that there were some types of food that were unclean to Jewish people. They were not to be eaten, ceremonially unclean. Some, others, they're clean. You can have that. This had existed for centuries. It existed this very day among Observant Jews, they want to know if something is kosher. Kosher. That is, is it approved for an observant Jew to eat this? Now, we don't deal with that necessarily that often, but it's still very real in great parts of the Jewish community. And let me tell you, it's really real in Jerusalem. I remember one time, we had a free day in Jerusalem, and Susan and a couple of the ladies wanted to go down Main Street, Ben Yehuda Street, do some shopping. So they went down Ben Yehuda Street. While they were going there, they saw a nice ice cream stand. So they decided they'd love to have some ice cream, warm day. So they were enjoying their ice cream, walking across along the street. And then they thought they'd just sit down for a while, enjoy the ice cream and fellowship. And they sat down and they're just enjoying their ice cream. And all of a sudden, the business owner comes out all excited. Jewish man, out of here. Go, 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 not kosher, not kosher. And, and they didn't realize they'd taken their ice cream and they were sitting in a delicatessen shop. And you cannot mix dairy and meat products in any way. Or the kosher police will come. <laughs> this is a real thing. And the man was terribly afraid that these three very Gentile ladies were going to get the kosher police on him. That's funny. <laughs> well, we, we can laugh about that, but it wasn't a laughing matter. In Paul's day, it's not a laughing matter in many places in the world today. 
But it wasn't just among the Jewish people. It was also among the Gentile people. Now you say, how, could, how did the Gentiles get impacted by this? Well, here's what would happen. You'd go to the meat market. And all kinds of meat. And not just the meat market, but vegetables would be displayed for your family. And some would be displayed as the highest quality of meat or the highest quality of products that have been offered to thus and so God. And so you would know, well, this is the highest, this is the best class because this meat has been offered to the worship in the temple. Well, there were new believers who are, have been Gentiles and they, they've been in that kind of worship before they even know what goes on in some of those temples they say we can't we can't eat that we can't do it and then here comes another gentile brother sister along says well get out of the way there's only one god jehovah there's no god up there i'll take a pound of that please (laughs) what are you going to do one person has refused the meat over Religious convictions. And the other one says, what are you talking about? It's perfectly fine to eat. There was a struggle with diet. And then there was a struggle with days. The Jewish people, some of them are strong. They know all of those feasts and all of those expressions of the festivals have been fulfilled in Christ. And they're no longer binding on them as Jewish people. But other Jewish people are saying, no, 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 no. That's very important to us. We want to observe those festivals. We we don't think you're interpreting that correctly. So one would observe a day. Another says, I'm not observing it. This would go to Gentiles as well. Pagan holidays. Pagan holidays associated with false gods. Should you in any way be involved in even recognizing that day? Some strong Gentile believers were saying, no, we've been set free. That that has nothing binding on us, just thanks for the day off. And others saying, no, 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 we can't have anything to do with that. We can't can't have anything to do with that. That's about false worship. And all these folks go to church together. You getting it now? They all go to church together. And so Paul is addressing this. But what is important here is that he does not address the issue of the diet, really, or the days, he addresses the problem. The problem which is the real problem. The real problem is not the diet or the days. The real problem is the disposition in the hearts of the Christians toward each other. The disposition of the Christians toward each other when they don't agree on certain observances of days or diets and a sinful attitude can begin to be displayed. And Paul knows this. He's not been to Rome yet, but he knows that they're already struggling with this. And so Paul addresses the issue, which is not to say, here's the definite teaching about this day, or here's the definite teaching about this diet. He goes deeper to the issue of the heart. And my friend, listen to me. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. Listen to what he says, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has 
welcomed him. Notice what he says must not be expressed. There must be no expression of contempt for another Christian. Despise. Contempt for their views. Nor should there be expressed an attitude of condemnation. Passing judgment. Being hypercritical on another person who doesn't agree. Paul deals with the disposition of the heart. And the conflict was very real and very great. And so Paul wrote this whole chapter. Next week we'll look at more in regard to direction he gives. But this conflict was very real, it was very great. How do brothers and sisters live in harmony when they possess divided views? How do brothers and sisters live in harmony when they possess divided views on some subjects? Would you say that's still up to date? <laughs> I'd say more up to date than the morning news. <laughs> because you can trust this. <laughs> So what does Paul do? Over these temporal issues, diet, days, other things, Paul says we must apply the eternal concepts. What are the eternal concepts that guide us through? These concepts are timeless. They were the concepts to guide people in the first century they are the concepts to guide us today in the 21st century. And if the Lord does not come for another thousand years, the Bible will still say what it says, right? And it will still be these concepts that guide every generation of believers in every single culture. What are they? Well, there's three of them. Verses 1 through 12, Paul gives three eternal principles to guide in differences over issues. Listen carefully. Here it comes. Issues over which God has not spoken. Issues over which God has not spoken. Now, let me stop here for a moment before some of you want to start sending texts to our elders. <laughs> there are issues to which God has clearly spoken. Made it very clear. Some things are right and some things are wrong. And they're not right because of what public polls say. And they're not wrong because of what public polls say. Right and wrong is determined by God Almighty. Amen. What he says is right is eternally right. And what he says is wrong is everlastingly wrong. We need to nail that right now. I appreciate a bumper sticker that I've seen many times. But I must, in my humble but very accurate opinion, correct it. Here's what the bumper says, sticker says. And if you have it on your car, God bless you. God bless you. The bumper sticker says, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, friend, here's the reality. If God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not. People say, well, I just don't believe that. God said it. Well, I see that he said it, but I just don't believe it. Well, I'm sorry. God didn't ask your opinion. God said it, that settles it. 
Now praise God for the grace of God in our hearts and the enlightening of the Holy Spirit that we can agree with God, right? That's the best life. That's the will of God which is good and complete and perfect. Romans 12, 2. Paul says, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. But there are some things, listen church, there are issues which God has not addressed in his word. He's not spoken to all issues. How do we find agreement in love when there's a disagreement? Here's the issue. Paul says, number one, remember this. When you disagree with someone over one of these non-essential issues, remember this. Christ is his or her Savior. Christ is his or her Savior. Verse 3 What does it say? God has welcomed him. Isn't that beautiful? That word welcome there is a very unique word. It doesn't mean, hey, come on in. Uh, We'll find a place for you someplace. No, it means this. Come on in this house. We are so glad to have you. We delight to have you with us. You're welcomed fully in love. And notice who does the welcoming here. God has welcomed him. That's the gospel right there, friend. God receives sinful men and women through Jesus Christ. Receives him fully. Receives him in love. And I want you to know the gospel right now. God loves you. And he will receive you with all of his great infinite heart. With all the love and affection. And bestow on you the right to become a child of God. Welcome you completely if you come to him through Jesus. And boy how we need to remember that. We need to remember that. What's the basis of fellowship for us? They agree with me or God has received him or her. Anonymous person wrote this. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel. Think only as I think. Eat what I eat. Drink what I drink. Do always as I do. Then and only then will I fellowship with you. Never forget God has welcomed him or her. I want to ask you, have you ever thought about it? He said, well, I just don't know if I can really receive that person. We disagree on some things. I just don't know if I can really have fellowship with that person. You know, we disagree on some things. We need to have a discussion, and we need to get clarification on some things. What are you saying? You have higher standards than God? God received her, but you can't? God has welcomed him, but you can't? What are we saying? Do we have higher standards than all holy God who receives people? If God receives believers on the basis of grace, yet I will only receive believers on the basis of their works that I agree with completely... What am I doing? I'm denying the gospel. I'm a disgrace to grace. If I won't receive in friendship and love those that God receives, then I am denying the power of the gospel and I am a disgrace to grace. And some of us will never get right with some people until we understand we are a disgrace to grace. 
by not receiving brothers and sisters with whom we disagree. What's the purpose of fellowship? <laughs> What's the purpose of fellowship? Look at, look at verse 1 again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Amen. It's not this, welcome. Now let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> welcome. Hey, what do you think about? The church is not a debate society. Church is a gathering of sinners who are saints by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And who are all in a process of becoming more like Him. We have to remember whose they are. <laughs> have you ever been in a public place and there's a child that just misbehaves, 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 and parents won't do anything. And you know, you know, come on, let's get real. <laughs> your, your teeth sit a little bit, and you're just kind of thinking, oh, if I was your parent for about, I know how to take care of them. <laughs> Smile on your face the whole time. What, but what do you do? The child's misbehaving, what do you do? Do you go over there? And take care of that? No, you don't do that. Why? He's not your child. My friend, let's get it down and get it straight. God has not called any of us to the straightening out other people ministry. We don't have one of those. The straightening out other people ministry. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's way above your pay grade or mine. I'm not the standard. My convictions are not the standard. God is the standard and His Word is the standard. One eternal concept. Christ is His or her Savior. Second eternal concept. Christ is her or His Lord. Whose job is this? Verse 4. Listen to Paul. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One, one person esteems one day is better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind. Verse 6, again, the one who observes the day does it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains does it in honor of the Lord and he gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. Amen. Amen. He's the Lord. You see, listen carefully, church. Listen carefully. Two Christians can be spirit-led and disagree. Two Christians can be spirit-led and disagree. And also, two Christians can disagree and both be right. You say, well, how is that possible? How is it possible that two Christians can come to different conclusions and both be right? Because the Lord is looking at their motive. The motive is to honor Him. Amen. Amen. One observes a day to honor the Lord. One doesn't observe the day to honor the Lord. One doesn't eat this to honor the Lord. One does eat it and gives thanks to honor the Lord. They're both right. 
in their motivation. Amen. Their motivation is for the Lord. Paul gives an example here. He, he gives us an example. If you just read the context, two people sit down. Two brothers sit down. One's concerned about where this meat comes from. So he orders from the salad bar. The other one says, wow, that looks good to me. <laughs> oh, love what they do with steaks here. He orders big steak. One orders the salad, honors the Lord, gives thanks. One orders the steak, honors the Lord, gives thanks. Which one is accepted or rejected by God? They're both accepted by God. Amen. Who looks on the heart? Sad to say, what would happen today? I tell you what would happen today in a church if something like this happened, they'd start a new church. <laughs> You'd have T-Bone Baptist and South Bar Baptist, okay? <laughs> well, you know, I know you're laughing. It, it could get a little quieter here just in the next few minutes. Because you know that's what I do, a little sanctified humor gets you laughing, then I put the little dagger right in the third rib, right there. <laughs> See, it's very easy to read about diets and days and smile. Oh, aren't we so tolerant? But let's take out the first century diet and days and let's just plug in some 21st century hot potatoes. How about that? We're having so much fun here. How about music and styles of worship? I studied this subject for years and years because it has been a continual problem. It was a problem in this fellowship one time, several years ago. And I spent more time investigating the subject than any other subject, probably other than that which is in the Bible. And I found out that style of worship and music has been a continual issue for the church through the centuries. For example, in England in the 1700s, hymns began to be sung instead of the Psalms of David. And many people who wanted psalms stood outside until the hymns were over. I'm talking hymns because they'd never sung hymns before. They'd only sung the Psalms of David. And to sing anything other than the Psalms of David would not be right. And so the non-hymn singers would stand outside. I remember back in the 90s, early days here at West Park, when we began to use some praise choruses, as they were called at that time, along with hymns. And then and eventually we, we had technology to have words on the screens. And so we had the, the hymn books and the screens. And then eventually we didn't have the hymn books and we just used the screens. Did our doctrine change? No. <laughs> did did our, the preaching change? No. But it was a struggle for some people. A real, it was a struggle. And, and to the point, finally, years ago, I brought two messages. You know what the messages were? I, I had them on CD. You can look that up. You don't know what that is. CDs in my desk for years. But here were the two messages I brought back to back. Number one, what the Bible says about music. Number one. Number two, what the Bible does not say about music. And I said, this is what the Bible says. This is what it doesn't say. It helped a lot. <laughs> but I had to keep copies in my desk and encourage people to listen. Because you see, we have to go back to the Word of God. 
We can't divide over things to which God has not spoken. But this issue, for example, of styles of worship and music, it's still destroying churches to this very day. It's ruining universities and colleges this very day. Yet is an issue to which God has not spoken in terms of style of music, type of music. How about the expression of worship and service? You know what I found out? Some people are quiet and reverent and they are praising God with all their heart inside. And some people clap and raise their hands and they're praising God with all their heart. And here's what can happen. What careful, someone who is inward in the expression of their worship can say, I think that's getting out of control over there. And people that are praising the Lord and from time to time raising hands, what's wrong with you folks? Is this the first church of the Frigidaire or something? Are we the frozen chosen? Come on. You cannot judge whether someone's worshiping the Lord based on their posture. God looks on the heart. We can't judge the person who raises his hands or her hands or the person who stands there in reverence and worship. We have issues today, participation of women in services. You know, the Bible is very clear about the role of the elder reserved for men. But the Bible is also very clear that women possess all the gifts that men possess. And that within the bounds of Scripture, they can freely and equally use those gifts in the gatherings of the church. The Bible is clear about that. And yet, there are those who out of tradition, out of their experience, if they're not careful, can pass judgment on women being fully empowered within Scripture context to serve the Lord with their giftedness. How about the Christian and national politics? Oh, now, wow. Policies, national politics, economics. What does the Bible clear on? We are never to disobey God, right? We must obey God rather than man. But as Christians, sometimes we have to determine how we operate in the kingdom of Caesar in a way that our conscience is clear. So we're not going to agree at times about policies. What's happening to the border in our southern border might mean something to you and it doesn't mean that to somebody else. The three Supreme Court cases that were handed down this week. You might be on one side of those and there are Christians that might be on the other side of those issues. There are Christians who think President Biden ought to be in jail. And there are Christians who think that a former president, Trump, ought to be in jail. And some think they ought to be in the same cell together just to see how that worked out. (laughs) Understand, Jesus is not the head of any political party. Friend, listen, we do not serve God in a democracy. We serve God in an absolute totalitarian monarchy. Jesus Christ is king. And that is not elephant or donkey. That's the lamb who is the lion. We need to understand that. And dragging that kind of stuff into the fellowship into the gatherings of the church 
is not helpful. It's divisive. If God has not spoken about it, you know, I just thought about that this week. If God hasn't spoken about it, maybe we should just be quiet about it in church. If God hasn't spoken about it in his word, maybe in the gathering of the church, we need to be quiet about it. Now, if God has spoken about it, listen, we have a call on us as prophets of the Lord. We're going to say what God says. We're going to say it in love, but we're not going to lie because you don't love someone when you tell them a lie. It is not loving to tell someone a lie. If God says something is wrong, to tell them they're okay is to lie to them. We must speak the truth in love. But if we can't do it in love, please don't speak. Pray about it until your heart can share the message in love. We need to understand something. The devil is not in these personal decisions. The devil is about the division. That's what he wants. To divide. Well, I've been gone for a couple weeks, I know. And you're not listening near quickly enough. (laughs) So here's the third. The third concept. Remember this. Christ is his or her judge. Christ is his or her judge. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, all of us and each of us, will give an account of himself to God. Sober question. Who are you? We have to be reminded we're not the judge. Sober reminder. I will be judged. And a sober moment is coming. When your name will be called. Not your family. Your name. And you will stand before Christ and give an account. Thank God, if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're entering in the the celestial city. But I want to tell you something. Standing before Jesus and having your life examined, it's not going to be a Sunday school picnic either. It's going to be a very sober moment. And that's one reason the Lord has given us communion. So that we can judge ourselves. And I want us to do this now. Our team's coming back up, Max. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. If we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged. We need to judge ourselves. And so we have our... Ushers, if you did not get one of these, please, man, if you'd come forward, raise your hand, please. Because once you receive these elements for communion, just hold your hand up and the men will get those to you. But this is an opportunity for us to consider where we are. First of all, are you in Christ? Examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Do you know that you know that you know? That you've been born again. Today is the day. Now's the time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Come to Christ. Believe on Him now. Right now. This communion is not part of your salvation. This communion is an expression of your salvation 
through the sacrifice, the body, the blood of Jesus. It's a memorial. But now, time to judge ourselves. Some of us need to think carefully about some arguments we've had. Or some resistance we've had in relationship with others. Some of us need to think about the political divides that we've let get into our relationships. Some of us need to think about how we've put ourselves in the place of judging. Maybe some of us need to go and make things right and ask forgiveness. You see, being right with others is a part of being right with God. Communion is an expression of our common union. Communion. Is it your reality this morning that you are in union with your brothers and sisters in Jesus? Thank God we can have that union through the blood of Christ. Amen.